Well, I'm glad to be here this morning and I'm glad you're here this morning. And it may be something that I'd say every week, you know, I'm glad to be here this morning, but it actually has particular uh, significance this morning because there was a high risk for me that I wasn't actually gonna physically be here, wasn't actually physically gonna be alive uh, today to be here. So I'm grateful to be here. I'm alive, as you can see, rumours of my death have been greatly exaggerated. And uh, because two weeks ago, I was down in Bustleton doing a triathlon. And uh, I was in a group of, uh, you know, in the triathlon, you do a swim, then you do a bike ride, then you do a run. And so we set, up, set off in the swim and they set us off in sort of blocks of people. And by the time I got out, started my swim, there was several hundred people in, uh, in the water. There was 3000 people in the race. And so had, everyone hadn't gotten out. Um, uh, at this stage, but I was out there. They started us at 5.30 and then let people go a little bit at a time. And uh, the idea is you're swimming alongside just sort of parallel to the Bustledon jetty. So it's uh, hard to get lost, you know, out in the open sea, you just gotta, as long as you can see the jetty, you're safe. Well, 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 at least so we thought until Bruce, the shark, uh, and Bruce, and, uh, and depends whose story you listen to, up to four of his friends decided they were gonna come and check out what all the action was with all of these uh, people swimming around the bustle and jetty. And here's the thing, my theory is, because when you do a triathlon off and you'll wear a, a full length uh, black wetsuit and there's several hundred of us in the water, my theory is that Bruce and his mates, they think that we're, uh, I don't know what the collective noun is for seals, but they think we're a group of seals and they see several, what are they? Well, okay, podcast listeners, I can now verify that it's not just my own theory, a scientific fact that sharks look at skinny triathletes wearing uh, wetsuits and think of them, and, and the first thought that comes to their mind is, breakfast and, and not just breakfast, but there's hundreds of us in there. So it's like, it's like the buffet at Sizzler breakfast. Hmm, which one shall I start with? Now, of course, the law of averages is that with several hundred and eventually 3000 athletes in the water, the chances of you being the one they, they pick and eat, it's just a math equation. It's still limited, but you know, we don't wanna take those chances and uh, nor do the surf, surf life saving people who's, job it is to keep us alive. Uh, so they sent us over to, the, to the, uh, the jetty, we're swimming alongside it, but they said, no, swim to the jetty. Well, everyone swam really fast to the jetty. And, uh, and there's ladders we discovered going up the jetty. And I gotta tell you, I've never climbed a ladder that fast in my entire existence. But this race uh, in December, two weeks ago, is, it's called the Ironman. Some of you have seen the brand of that. They do the race in Hawaii, the World Championship. Sometimes that makes it on TV. Um, this was unique. This race in Bustleton two weeks ago was unique in as much as they have a full Ironman. Now that's a brand name, but it's also reflective of a distance. 140.6 miles is your total distance of the race. Okay, so that's an American thing, but it's American brand. They often would, would have that event, stand alone, couple of thousand entrants, different places around the world. And so off you go, you swim uh, first and then you get out and then you cycle and then you get off and then you run uh, to complete that. This event two weeks ago in Boston is unique in as much as they have the full Ironman event, but they also, to boost profits, about half an hour before the full Ironman event, they have a, a half Ironman event. They don't call it that because no one's to be accused of just only doing half of something, but um, a half Ironman event. And the way the thing is set up is essentially, uh, 
the Ironman course is essentially two laps, two laps swim, two laps of a bike course and two laps of the run. And so they just sliced it in half and sent off the half Ironman distance athletes. You just had to do one lap, one lap of the swim, one lap of the bike and one lap of the run. And I did the half distance this year. And uh, I've been thinking about it. If, uh, if I was able to clone myself, and uh, you know, why wouldn't I? Uh, if I was able to clone myself, and let's say we, we ended up at the end of this uh, questionable experiment with Mark, and uh, shout out to DC comic fans, Bizarro Mark. If we had Mark and Bizarro Mark, and Mark and Bizarro Mark had the exact same genetic makeup, Mark and Bizarro Mark did exactly the same training leading up to this race, and Mark and Bizarro Mark uh, went to the start line of these races, identical level of fitness, okay? But Mark, me, is doing the half Ironman distance, but Bizarro Mark is doing the full Ironman distance. What that means is that Mark only has to do one lap of everything, but Bizarro Mark, with the same level of fitness, has to come in and do two laps of everything. Well, here's the deal. If Mark and Bizarro Mark set off at exactly the same time and there was no shark issues, so we got to actually do the race, there is no question that Mark would finish the first half, the half Ironman, quicker than Bizarro Mark would finish the first half because he's doing the full Ironman because, simple fact, you guys are smart, you get it, I'm gonna say it anyway for the benefit of the podcast listeners, some of them are not that smart. Uh, Because Bizarro Mark, he has to save something for the second lap. So Mark is always gonna beat Bizarro Mark because Mark doesn't have to leave anything in the tank at the end of the first lap because he ain't doing a second lap. And this is a metaphor that God uses for you and me for our lives. He talks about the idea that we are in this life running a race. We are actually called to run a race. There's a start line and there's a finish line. But what we need to understand is this race that we're running is not a two lap event. When you're dead, you don't get to come back and do it all over again. It's a one lap race. And guess what? You and I right now are in it. And because it's a one lap race, you and I don't need to save anything for a second lap. We can go all in, in this life. And God calls us to that. And I wanna drill into that today. I wanna talk about going and living life beyond the point of no return, saving nothing for the next lap. And I actually wanna talk around uh, a guy named Joshua. Okay, if you've got our Elevate app installed on your mobile device, you can tap the Bible tile and we very cleverly pre-addressed it to Joshua chapter one. This wasn't written by Joshua, but it's written surrounding a guy named Joshua and a historical account of a slice of his life. What you... What you uh, just to bring you up to speed, kind of the backstory, before you start reading Joshua and, and he becomes more prominent in history, the rock star that preceded him is a guy named Moses. Now, some of you heard about Moses. If you haven't heard about Moses, Moses in his day, he was the man. He was the man. God said to the people, 
in Moses' time that you, God said to them, you are not allowed to see me. You're not allowed to approach me. You're not allowed to, if, if you saw me, you'd die. But Moses, he got a, a triple A pass. He got an access all areas pass. He was actually not only allowed to, but God called him to go up a particular mountain and meet God face to face. And, 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 and the historical accounts of Moses is he'd go up to, 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 to meet God face to face, which he was the only person on the planet allowed to do that. And if anyone else tried and they saw God face to face, they would die in an instant. So Moses is a big deal. And, and not only that, it, it, the, the historical account is that after he saw God face to face, Moses would, would shine like God. Moses would reflect God and, 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 and Moses would come back down from the mountain and, and he wouldn't have to say he's been with God because he just looked like he'd been with God. And so he's walking around and all the people knew it. He's the only guy on the planet that was not only allowed to, but called to meet with God. He went up to meet with God one time. God gave him two iPads and he brought down the 10 commandments on those things. The only person that's ever been able to do that. Steve Jobs tried it. It was Moses. Well, there's another claim to fame for Moses. The people of Israel that Moses was a part of, they were living as captives to the Egyptians. You wonder who built the, the pyramids? Read your Bible. Slaves, Israelite slaves, many of them. They were living in captivity for, uh, to the Egyptians for over 400 years. It'd be like you and I being deported to New Zealand and, and being forced to live. I love New Zealand, but, but I don't wanna go there against my will. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so these people were living in Egypt against their will, a whole nation of people, the Israelites, for over 400 years. And God tapped Moses to lead the Israelites out of captivity into freedom and actually promised them a land of their own that Moses would lead them to. So Moses is a big deal. And Joshua, he's kind of like, like, like Moses' wingman. And we don't hear too much about him up to this point because it's all about Moses. Moses is the man. But now all of a sudden, we start to hear the story of Joshua unfold. And in chapter one and verse one, the historical record is written this way. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, it's not really good to have your credentials as being, I'm the son of Nun. I mean, it's just like, I got nothing. I'm son of Nun. That's a really, really bad preacher's joke right there. I was teaching a, a preaching workshop, workshop a couple of weeks ago, and I just encouraged the people to say, if, you, if you're funny, like use humour, but if you're not funny, don't. Because <laughs> I heard about this church once. This is like nothing to do with my message, but I, just, I was thinking about it while I was shaving this morning for some reason. Um, this, this preacher, he's not very funny. This is years ago in another city. And, uh, and he goes, you know, you know how Jesus was, uh, was crucified by the Sadducees, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Do you know why they're called the Sadducees? Because they were sad, you see? And I'm like, no, that joke is sad, you see? No, but see, it's like, no, not funny. Son of none, not funny, Mark. All right, good, move on. That person was not me that made that joke, all right? I don't care what you... <sighs> Tough crowd. Moses aid, wingman. Moses, my servant is dead. Now then you and all of these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them. 
to the Israelites. Moses, my servant, is dead. God is highlighting, it's not like Joshua didn't notice, highlighting this to Moses' wingman, Joshua. You know, if you follow sports, you'd notice that it's actually oftentimes easier to win if you've got a superstar in your team. I mean, you all need to have a bit of game and you probably would, you wouldn't get the professional contract at any level if you didn't. But you know, there was Michael Jordan and there was the others. And yet at some point, and they won a whole bunch of, uh, of championships, getting to the point where they had more rings than fingers to put them on. At some point, Michael decided he was gonna retire. Well, the Chicago Bulls at that point in time had to make a decision whether they were gonna close up the entire operation or continue on trying to win another championship. Kobe Bryant, LA Lakers, superstar, won some championships. Kobe retires. Are the others gonna retire? Are they gonna wind down the Lakers franchise or decide whether they're gonna keep moving, keep playing, keep striving to win another championship? When the superstar's done, you've got a decision to make. Similarly, life, life is more enjoyable when you're in a season of flourishing. Yeah, okay, thank you, Captain Obvious. I know, right? It's not just me that thinks that. When you're in a great relationship, well, life is easier. When you're in a great job, life is easier. When you've got a great group of friends around you, life is easier. When you're in a season of flourishing, life is easier. But the reality is that some of those things, some of those seasons come to an end. And some of you have experienced seasons of flourishing that didn't last forever. Some of you have experienced relationships that came to an end and they were great while they lasted and they were terrible when they ended and you enjoyed the season of flourishing more than you enjoyed the season after that. Some of you have been in jobs, dream jobs, and, the, and, and for whatever reason, that job came to an end and you were flourishing and loving life when you were in that job, but it came to an end. Some of you had a great group of friends, but then one or more of those friends turned on you and betrayed your trust and started to make life difficult for you. And just as when the superstar leaves the team, we've got to make a decision about whether we're going to press on. Well, here's Joshua. Joshua, he's just the wingman. Moses is the rock star. God had actually promised that Moses would lead the people out of Egypt, but not just out of Egypt, but he would actually lead them into the promised land. Well, they hadn't reached the promised land at this point. And, and, and yet Moses now had died. And Joshua had to make a decision at this hinge moment in history. Is he just gonna stay there? Is he gonna get stuck? Or is he gonna keep moving forward? Moses, my servant, is dead. Joshua had to come to the realization that actually you don't put your faith in Moses to deliver you into the promised land. You actually put your faith in God. He might use Moses, but it's not Moses that we put our faith in. It's God that we need to learn to put our faith in. Now, if you're a Seinfeld fan, you will know that punctuation matters. And uh, you read this carefully. Moses, my servant, is dead. Full stop. Not comma, not semicolon, not ellipsis, fancy, fancy new punctuation thing. 
Moses, my servant is dead. Full stop. Done. Over. Chapter closed. Now, then, you. Now, then, you. Yeah, I know you're disappointed because you thought Moses was gonna lead you into the promised land, but now that he isn't, you. I know you feel heartbreak because this was the man you served and you followed him and, and, and you invested into him and you did what he needed you to do, but he's dead. It's over, that chapter's closed. Now, then, you. You have to decide to leave the past in the past. No turning back to Egypt, no easing up or quitting. Joshua, you. Now, then, you. Get ready to cross the Jordan. Friends, what do you need to leave behind in order to move ahead? It's a pretty fair chance it's something or someone. Sometimes it is a person, a friendship that isn't taking you in the direction God's calling you to. Sometimes it's a toxic relationship that's causing you to compromise everything you are and everything God's created you to be. Some of you need to leave behind playing it safe. You've been playing it safe because you have a shrunk, wrapped perspective of who God is and what He's capable of, or you have a shrunk, wrapped perspective of yourself and who God's created you to be and what He's called you to do, but you need to stop playing it safe, leave that behind. Some of you need to leave behind being overly concerned what people think. And when God calls you to do something, stop making your first decision. I wonder what people are gonna say about me. Stop that internal dialogue. Some of you, you need to leave behind bitterness. You know bitterness can fuel you, but it is bad quality fuel. Yeah, it'll get you spinning. <laughs> bitterness will get your motor revving, but it is poor quality fuel for moving forward. Some of you need to leave behind old patterns of thinking, maybe brought up thinking a certain way, maybe culturally things were forced on you and you're, you're confronting, you're hitting your head against something God's trying to reveal to you, a better way of thinking, a way that He's trying to shape you in your mind from the inside out and you're stuck in old patterns of thinking. Some of you need to leave that behind in order to move forward. Now, then, you, that relationship's dead, now, then, you, that friendship's over, now, then, you, stop thinking that way, leave it behind, and now, then, you, what do you need to leave in the past? Have you ever prayed, some of you, if you're sort of a churchy, godly, sort of Jesus-y person, whatever that looks like, have you, ever, have you ever prayed? Or maybe, maybe you know, you're not sort of a big kind of God person, but, but just, just have you ever, have anyone, anyone ever prayed this prayer? God, just throwing it up there. God, change my life. Has anyone ever, you know, just kind of sweeping blanket, God, change my life. Has anyone ever prayed that prayer? I've prayed that prayer. The problem is too many people want Jesus the magician when God ultimately instead sent Jesus the Messiah. See, the Jesus the magician He'd be nice, 
or at least we think he'd be nice because he'd get his little Jesus-y magic wand and do a little abracadabra over our life and ching, and fix everything. But, but here's, here's a pro tip. Your life is connected to you. And if Jesus fixed something in your life that was broken, but didn't spend any time working on you, you just screw it up in five minutes and be right back where you started. And that's why when we say, God changed my life, He always answers that by starting, first of all, by changing us. Because our lives are ultimately connected to us. They're not playing out on social media. They're not streaming on Netflix. This is it. You're in it. So God says to Joshua, I'll give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Well, that's good. The promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. There's no expiry date on this. It's still alive. The dream, the promise, it's still got legs, pun intended. God shifts the focus at this point in history between, from what Joshua needed to leave behind to now explicitly talking about Joshua's forward progress. However, this is where punctuation matters. I will give you every place. There's no full stop there. And sometimes we'd like it if there was. God just give me this. God just airdrop it in my life. God just send it down with a parachute. God just let me just stay where I am, stay exactly how I am and just have something magically pop up in front of me. Just give it to me, God. And God says, no, 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 yeah, I'll give you Places, but it's gonna require some progress. It's gonna require some movement. Yeah, you can take possession of it. I'll give it to you, but you have to actually move towards it. You actually have to step into it. You know, not only do you have to leave some things behind, but you actually have to move forward. You have to get moving. You have to take next steps. And that's the difference between Jesus the magician and Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the magician, it's abracadabra, bam, bam, bam. Jesus the Messiah, it's come, follow me. It's a journey, it's a process, there's progress. It'll take time, it starts from the inside. And when you start following Jesus, oftentimes the the stuff around you doesn't change a bit. And yeah, that can get frustrating, I get it. But the, but the the journey, in the journey, Jesus changes us. In the journey, Jesus the Messiah leads us into the promised land, places, where we're willing to set our foot. So what's your next step? What do you need to leave behind? And what do you need to move towards? It could be capacity. It could be God's calling you to actually step up in your capacity. Capacity to influence. Capacity to be used by God to change other people's lives. 
capacity to be more emotionally present to your spouse. Yeah, I'm talking to you men and women. Come on, give me a bit of love. I'm on your side. If Lou was here, no, she wouldn't call me a hypocrite. Why did you think that? your capacity for opportunity. You know, some people, opportunities come in their way, but they haven't actually prepared themselves for it. And so it just gets passed to the next person, goes sailing on right by because they haven't developed the capacity to handle it. Maybe that's your next step, going to 2018. Develop your capacity. Maybe it's, it's in your relationship. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it's simple as God's calling you to be a better friend to be less interested in what you can get out of your friendship and more interested in what you can invest into your friendships. And by the way, another pro tip, (laughs) if you spend your time investing into your friendships, you're more likely to get a better return anyway. But it doesn't start with you thinking first about yourself. Maybe your next step is in your generosity. Maybe you've been acting to a certain level of generosity. And yeah, there are levels, certain level of generosity. And maybe God's calling you to take a next step. Maybe you've been at a certain level for a certain period of time and God's saying, take a next step. What is it? I will give you every place where you set your foot. You could just as easily slice it up and say, if and only if you set your foot. And then... God promises this, no one will be able to stand against you. No one will be able to stand against you. Uh, Okay, again, I'll put on my Captain Obvious hat and let you know, the fact that God says no one will be able to stand against you implies that some people are gonna try. He doesn't say no one will stand against you. He says no one will be able able to stand against you. Circumstances will come against you. I said this before, probably it's something that I need to keep looping back to regularly. If anyone ever hands you a brochure and tries to convince you that the come follow me by Jesus message means that everything in your life is gonna be better, you're only gonna experience tailwinds, smooth seas from then on, hand the brochure back, In fact, stick it in a slip that they have in a certain part of their anatomy because it's worthless, because it's a lie. It is not true. The the reality is that, 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 that when you and I decide to start following God, following Jesus, honouring Him with our lives, there'll be people that come against us. There'll be circumstances that come against us. Things will happen that, that, that don't seem to marry up with this, this idyllic uh, Elysium, heavenly, everything's fine life. But, but, but God's not promising no one will try to stand against you. His promises no one will be able to stand against you. Maybe your next step, this going into 2018, is, is that you're gonna start uh, uh, or, or dial up honouring God at your workplace. Do you know that God actually calls us to, to work in our jobs as if He's our boss? Turning up as if He's our boss? And, and let me break that down for you. That, that, that's gonna look like, and this is what you can do. Start turning up on time. And by the way, let me define on time. If you start work at 9 a.m., that's not turning up at 9 a.m. 
That's bumming seat at 9am. That's getting ready to work. That's not hanging around the photocopier or schlepping around your, your worthless Nescafe Blend 43 dirty water. No. It's ready to work when you're meant to start work. Oh, gee, that sounds a little bit countercultural. I know, I know, I get it. But work in your workplace as if you're working for God. Work in your workplace as if you're working for God by not getting sucked into or drawn into the bitchiness and the gossiping. Stop using gossiping as a bonding tool around the coffee station. And when it's happening, at, 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 at least you walk away or at best you confront some people. Now here's what's gonna happen. I need to let you know this. I love you. I need to let you know this. <laughs> When you do that, somebody's gonna say in true Aussie fashion, as you, as you walk away from the break room, having not gotten involved in the gossiping and the bitching, who do they think they are? Because when you decide to bring more to the table, <laughs> you're gonna find some people that wanna actually vote you off the table. That's the reality. But God promises no one will be able to stand against you. And this is where a lot of people miss it. You know, I've actually seen some people go back to Egypt in their life when God's called them to move forward because they met some opposition. They hit a headwind. Oh, it mustn't, mustn't be where God wants me to be because it's getting a little bit challenging. <laughs> oh, can't be, can't be following Jesus in the right direction because people are speaking bad about me. <laughs> Do you know if living pain-free and challenge-free was a sign that you were in the middle of God's will, the only sign, Jesus would never have gone to a cross because a guy hanging for a from a cross being crucified with the most brutal form of capital punishment in the known era at that time at the hands of the Roman uh, guards, that didn't look to the, to the naked eye much like somebody who was following God's will. That didn't look like blessing. He wasn't putting up on his Instagram, hashtag blessed. <laughs> hanging from a cross, hashtag blessed. Because sometimes, actually, the very fact that we're, we're running into a headwind, the very fact that the seas are turbulent, the very fact that we're meeting opposition, the very fact that some people are coming against us, the very fact that we're getting pushed back, the very fact that we're doing that often means we're exactly where God wants us to be. There's people coming against us. There's circumstances coming against us. And we have to hang on to this promise. Not that no one will stand against you, but no one will be able to ultimately stand against you. And we don't do any of this on our own. God's ultimate promise, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then he said something to Joshua that this year became the most searched for and highlighted and bookmarked verse in the entire Bible. Verse nine of this same story. God said this, have I not commanded you, rhetorical question, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged for the Lord God will be with you 
wherever you go. God's with you in your workplace. God's with you in your marriage. God's with you in your family. God's even with you at the Christmas dining table with Uncle Harry, who you only have to see once a year, and that's once too often. But even in that situation, do you know God is with you? He'll give you the grace, the patience, the self-control to shut your mouth. He won't probably shut Uncle Harry's mouth, but he can help you shut your mouth. And so you can bring more to the table, even in your family this Christmas, because we're not called to do it on our own. This, this little bit here, I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to skip over this. One of the most important things God ever, has ever shown me in my life, be strong and courageous. That's actually instruction for us. You be strong and courageous. But what it implies is there's a backfilling from God is that when we make a decision to be strong and be courageous, He meets that with strength with courage, when we pull up, pull up to the gas station and pull out the, the, the uh, Bowser pump, I don't drive, uh, Bowser pump, um, there's, a, there's, there's an assumption that fuel will pour out of that. When we decide, when we decide, knowing that God's promised us He'll never leave us or forsake us, to be strong and courageous, there's a, there's, there's a promise that He will fill us that strength will flow, that courage will flow. And it's not our strength and it's not our courage. It's our decision to be strong. It's our decision to be courageous, but the strength and the courage doesn't flow, doesn't, doesn't flow from us. It flows ultimately through us because the source of the strength and the source of the courage is God alone who, who never runs out. You won't find one of those stupid orange pennant flags on God's Bowser saying empty. What sort of a service station manager are you? You had one job, provide fuel. Okay, I think I'm nearly done here. I got one more question. Some of you, your next step, and I'm gonna give you the opportunity to take it today. Your next step is to start following Jesus. The Jesus that just says, come follow me. The Jesus that says, come meet me just as you are. And let's begin this journey together. And if you've never made that decision to say, yes, I will follow you, I'll start following you, then right here, right now, I'm gonna give you that, give you that opportunity. And all I want you to do, before we finish, I'm gonna do it right now, is just put your hand up. And, and, and you're putting your hand up to him as, as, as if physically he was here, saying to you, come follow me. And you go, yeah, I, I'm in. If you've, never, if you've never done that, if you've never said yes to following Jesus, can I strongly encourage you right here, right now to make that decision, to say yes. And just do it right now. Put your hand up and say, yeah, that's me. I wanna follow Jesus this morning.